You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. It is December 12th, 2017, and that means, I believe, it is peanut butter and chili weather. It feels like it. Not just in this podcast room, but for a specific reason. Why is peanut butter and chili on your mind, Mike? Uh, peanut butter and chili is on my mind because we have brought back for the third time uh, on this show the peanut butter and chili dynamic duo, <laughs> Whitney Medworth, assistant uh, MBA editor, and Caitlin Cooper from IndieCornrows.com. The first people to open my eyes to this tradition that I did not know existed. We're here to talk about the surprising Indiana Pacers and tomorrow's, uh, as we record this on a Tuesday, tomorrow's big Paul George return. How are we doing? Good. How are doing you guys? Good. I, I feel like I, I need to start by saying uh, if you went upstairs to the, the desk where I work here at, at Vox, you'd see my over-under picks for the year where I had the Pacers under, and I believe they've already hit their over. Uh, (laughs) Close enough to it, but if you would have told, I'll start off, Caitlin, if I would have told you that this reunion game, this Paul George comes back and uh, Oklahoma City versus the Pacers, and I would have said that the Pacers would be sitting nicely at uh, 16 and 11 while Oklahoma City is out of the Western Conference playoff picture at 12 and 14, what would you have told me? I probably would have said you were crazy based on everything I said on the last podcast. I can't even think about peanut butter and chili because of the amount of crow I'm going to have to do. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, our, the rest our, of it. our podcast title for the Pacers preview was The Pacers Will Be Bad and Also Boring. As it turns out, they are good and exciting, so we went 0 for 2 there. Yeah, I didn't anticipate the growth that Oladipo and almost more importantly that Nate McMillan has shown in the first quarter of the season here. So, yeah, I'm very surprised. Victor Oladipo mania yeah. is sweeping it is, Indiana. It is absolutely sweeping so Indiana. What, all right, there's a lot of very you know, uh, face-level eye test things about Oladipo's game that have jumped out. He's shooting significantly better. His confidence is in a place where I don't think people would have been able to actually have diagnosed it last year. But how much, and Whitney, I'll lean on you for this, how much of the way we think about Oladipo currently is shaded by how we looked at him last year in a situation which is completely unfair to judge somebody by. Wait, why? Yeah. Because he was playing under Russ. Oh, I think so that's it's pretty a big, clear. Bad, it's a big, bad Russell Westbrook's fault. Do you subscribe to that theory? I think Russ, yeah, for a growth of a young player, yes. I don't think Russ is the best teammate. Okay. And that's pretty Whitney, obvious. Do you, do you subscribe to that theory? Yeah. Well, I more subscribe to the theory, which I guess you can say is the same thing, is that so many NBA players um, – it has to be right time, right place for them. It has to be a good situation and environment for them. And like Oladipo is the perfect example of that. He got, you know, Orlando decided they didn't want him. Uh, OKC decided they didn't want him. He got traded to Indiana where they wanted him already before he even played a game because he's, he went to IU. Um, so he already had the confidence without even stepping on the court. And then he plays well just a little bit. And the thing just 
blossoms out of control. So, you know, had he been traded somewhere else, who knows how this goes, but it ended up just being an absolutely perfect thing, I think, for him mentally. And he also, like, if you look at pictures, the dude worked out this summer. Definitely. Like, Mm -hmm. you compare, like, this isn't also just, oh, I have confidence now. Like, he appeared to really put the time in the summer to, you know, work on his game and he runs a hundred miles an hour all game long, which I think is part of that too, his stamina that he's built up. So I think, I think there's a lot of reasons that happen. And maybe all of that is the exact same as saying you can't play under Russ when you're a young player, but I kind of think it's a really nice right time, right situation for him. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting for me as I watch Oladipo as an outside observer who you know was a fan of the way he played at Indiana and kind of knew that his growth story and not every NBA player. I love how you're trying to rewrite the narrative so that you are always an Oladipo believer. Oh no no no! I'm I am thoroughly on the record for many many podcasts. <laughs> I think I've already done two podcasts where I've apologized, including trying to make up for it by calling him one of my limited upside all stars. If you listen to that podcast, Mike, yeah, that you, overcompensating. Uh, you were on with me. Uh, well, I got it. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and and you know I know that's few and far between, but. But um, with Oladipo, I was I was wrong. But his growth story is different than a lot of other NBA players. Like this dude averaged 11 or almost 12 points a game his senior year in high school. Most guys who get picked number two in the NBA draft, what, three years later, don't average 12 points a game when they're seniors in high school. That's a very modest number. That's like what Mike or I would have averaged on a team. Maybe <laughs> no, they, no, definitely not. Okay, or, or people Maybe like us. Move, move the decimal point. 1.2. <laughs> 1. A couple, shot a couple spots um, lower. But the idea is like, you know, he had to assume both mentally and physically have the tools to do it but like being a lead dog who is the the you know lead scorer on a team he wasn't ready for that when he was in Orlando um he didn't have to be that and didn't have enough touches or enough of the right possessions last year and 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 just a I think it's a good way to kind of almost wash that out of the history of Oladipo's career at this point the Oklahoma City year was a weird one but then when you look at the way he's playing now and and I would love you know uh Either of you can take this, Mike, if you want to jump in as well. But what has Nate McMillan done to unlock that, you know, in the growth story of Oladipo's game? Well, I think, first of all, just like back to the Russell Westbrook thing, mm-hmm. he's Oladipo's playing with Darren Collison, and Collison's averaging lower than 70 touches a game, and Russell's huh. aver- last year was averaging over 90. So, right. I mean, that's a really big, that's a big part of it, but... I wrote about this last week that I don't think that should be used to undercut how much he's propelled himself forward because you touched on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting above 40% on pull-up threes, which is making it even easier for him to get into the paint. Um, the first time I really realized I thought he was for real, they were playing the Thunder, and Andre Robertson had to keep going under screens to keep him out of the paint. And he was just – he's draining those shots. He's making shots when opponents go under screens. And – just what he's doing in transition in the fast break goes back to what Whitney talked about with the body transformation. I'm not exactly convinced that Russell Westbrook ever played with this version of Victor Oladipo. I mean, he he's really done stuff. He had a wrist injury as well, which I don't think we talk about. But yeah, I mean, the thing that is weird to me is that, you know, if you replay all these conditions back to you, I think it all makes sense that he would be better. But, you know, you don't see a jump like this from a dude on his third team in his career, even at his age, even with his pedigree, there's something abnormal, even if the conditions are all set up. I think, I want to say, was it you, Kalen, who wrote a piece before the year that was saying, yeah, Victor Oladipo is going to lead the team in usage and shots. That doesn't mean he's going to be effective, but hmm. like there is an opportunity here. But you don't see a lot of players get that opportunity and run with it. So I'm kind of, yeah. one of the things I'm, I'm kind of curious about is like, 
and I've been trying to figure out all year as I watch this Pacers team of, you know, they have a number of interesting, decent players that are all playing a little bit above their capability and like seeding to Oladipo to be the guy. And it's actually working. And something doesn't, it doesn't quite, you don't see that anywhere else. Like, what is it about, like, was Kevin Pritchard just right about <laughs> Victor Oladipo? Was, is there something else going on where the hometown story actually is propelling him? Is there something about how this team felt disrespected? I just, it, it, it's still kind of hard to believe that they're 16 11 to me, even though I watch them play and they look like a good team that plays really well together. Yeah. It seems yesterday, Miles Turner, or maybe it was late last night, said something in the regards of like Paul George being there and that like it wasn't fun anymore. And I'm just wondering if like, I mean, it wasn't fun for a lot of people wondering if Paul was going to leave and Paul was supposed to be the guy and all those things that, that I think Pacers fans went through. I think the team was going through at the same time. And it almost just feels like this huge weight was lifted off the entire organization when he left. And so it just so happened that these guys also are super cool with Vic coming in and just kind of being the dude now. I mean, Miles Turner could be mad about it. Like, you could easily say this should be Miles' team and not Victor's team, but that hasn't happened either. It's just, it's a really like weird puzzle piece. And maybe part of it is that Kevin Pritchard's just, he was right and we were wrong. It reminds me a lot of when Denver traded Anthony and they went on a run immediately after trading him where it was like finally this bullshit is over and yeah. they can focus on being a really good team. And they were really good after they traded him. Uh, yeah. It's a lot like that it feels like uh, to me. One of the other things I'm really interested in is you know, we've talked a lot with you two about Paul George's psychology and how Indiana fans feel about him and yeah. – all that. We'll talk more about that as we get into the game. I mean, is some of this – is it easier to like Oladipo because he's so much unlike George? Is that even a fair thing? I mean, Victor Oladipo – and we had a little discussion about this the other day, Whitney. Victor Oladipo said, I'm tired of the comparisons. Like, stop it. And I, my point – my response was, well, you guys got traded for each other. Like, sorry. Like, you're going to get compared to each other. Do you think it's – do you think that there is that comparison being implicitly made that maybe is elevating one over the other, that it's helped Oladipo play better, it's helped Indiana embrace Oladipo more? I mean, how do we feel about that comparison? Do we think – do we agree with Oladipo that it's enough is enough? Well, like, for an example – I was in the building when Victor Oladipo made the game winner against the Spurs. And before that game even started, just walking around, there were a lot of fans wearing Victor Oladipo jerseys from Orlando. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't think that people understand in this state how much fans, Indiana fans love basketball, but I think their first love is college basketball more than the NBA game. So I think he already had a fan base built in before he got here. And then, I mean, he's at his intro presser saying I'm a Hoosier you know anyway you know any way you look at it I'm a Hoosier I mean I think he won over fans here in a way that Paul George never really necessarily did because he wore his love for LA on his sleeve so I mean I, I think that's a big difference I mean I don't know how often Whitney's been in there but the roar for Victor Oladipo is pretty um I haven't yeah I watched him play one game that they lost but I I can you I mean you can just sense it And uh, the thing that's different about them, like comparing them and how fans feel about them is Paul was drafted here, was essentially forced to be here for the beginning of his career and grew up here. But 
it wasn't working and it was time for him to go. It's so opposite for Vic. Vic was passed around the league. Now he's home somewhere that actually likes him. and He wants to be here. Like it's hard to compare when Vic says, I want to be here forever versus when Paul did, because Victor actually has had opportunities to see where he doesn't want to be now. Um, and it's easier for him to feel like, okay, no, I actually do want to be here. Whereas Paul, I think was partially saying it because that's what you're supposed to say when you're, when you grow up with a fan base and you're, you're somewhat good. You're supposed to say, I want to stay here forever. And I think we all know that Paul didn't necessarily always mean that when he said it. And so I think it feels more sincere now when Victor says those things, because it truly is. And that's not necessarily Paul's fault, but that's just where we're at. Are there any other like scenarios like this? I'm trying to think if there's any other precedent for like player comes back to play for pro team and the place more or less where he played college ball. Billups perhaps. Yeah. Chauncey with Colorado. uh, That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, just thinking out loud. I also think, I mean, what you guys are saying is that this is a different market and this is a different market than any, even other pro markets. uh, So that this factor perhaps, I mean, we scoffed at the time. It was like, Oh, they're just trading for an Indiana guy. That's all they're doing. And they just want to sell some tickets, but maybe there is um, a deeper connection. Of course, none of this would have happened if he didn't play well. Or perhaps this is why he's playing well. Yeah, Mike, you tweeted the other day uh, a comp that I loved that you never thought that Old Depot would become the next Brandon Roy. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, an experienced college player uh, who uh, perhaps was not does not have like one obvious strength, but is sort of a late bloomer, a guy that was not. I, I, Roy was a highly recruited guy. In yeah, he was. He was. But I think he fell off the radar for a while because of some bumps and bruises and injuries. And, you know, sort of a zero guard, as they used to call him, yep. like kind of a not a point, not a two, just a, just a guard that need the ball in his hands uh, more than most guards. And, just an experienced college player that, you know, again, it's not like when you think of Brandon Roy, like I can't think of like the one thing that Brandon Roy was especially good at. He was just so solid all around. And if Oladipo is making shots as he continues to make shots, like he kind of has that vibe too. It's not like, like what is, like what is Victor Oladipo's most defining offensive quality? It's a little harder to pin down, I think, than it would be for even Paul George. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just good at everything. Yeah, he's pretty point. good at everything. He's definitely a. I mean, we shouldn't undersell how much of a plus athlete he is. He's he's a phenomenal NBA athlete, even by NBA two guard standards. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's um, true. So there's that. The balance that he's acquired in his jump shot, he has got this signature move where I'm, I'm sure everyone on this podcast is, can visualize it. And if you're listening, but you know, he goes between his legs backwards to the step back and goes straight up. Um, that is an extremely difficult move to create balance and also just to go straight up and not fade. Um, and also to create the right amount of lift off of either one or two feet, depending on how he decides to go with it. So, you know, that is a move that it takes. That's that's thousands of shots. That's like the time and preparation. That's the stuff that is, you know, it would, that would appear, um, you know, as Caitlin was mentioning and Whitney was mentioning earlier, like there's more to what we see now. And a lot of that is the work that he's obviously put in because he has a more refined game. Like the fact that we're ta- equating him to a Brandon Roy who was known as a player's player, great passer, good shot maker, ball just, you know, uh, um, decision maker, all those things uh, should say a lot. But I think we are also underselling the depth and, and contributions that Indiana is getting from a lot of players. They have, I think, six players in double figures right now. It's a really nice, tight eight-man rotation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what they're doing. Um, yeah, until they throw Damian Wilkins in there randomly. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Damian Wilkins is on their team. Yeah. Um, is there anyone else now? So, I mean, look, uh, 
Turner's ramping up now. He had a little bit of a slow start. To By the, the way, season. to mm-hmm. more t- comparisons to those Blazers mm-hmm. teams, Turner, the young big man who likes to shoot jumpers from Texas. Hmm. LMA, yeah, it's good. Mm. Um, no, that's that's an interesting point. Um, is there, is, so, I guess I'll throw this over uh, over to Whitney here. Um, they get, they're getting contributions from a bunch of veterans right now, like Collison, uh, Bogdanovich, Stevenson. My man Thad Young. <laughs> all of our man's Thad Young. Uh, I'm a huge Thad Young fan, too. People still don't realize he's left-handed. Unbelievable. Um, oh, there you go again. All, the only thing he can do. But, he no, he's very – that is the ultimate glue guy, and he's, he's definitely a tremendous you know teammate. You left-handed? Sabonis. Uh, Sabonis. Yeah, he is. Um, the other guy in that trade we haven't really talked much about um, – Guess, I mean, I guess, Whitney, talk to me a little bit about the, the overall team philosophy the McMillan's instilled here. Because, yeah, they have one guy averaging almost 25 a game, but then they have five others averaging over 12. Yeah, I mean, so far it's been like a little bit by committee, which has worked out really well so far. I've been so surprised by Bogdanovich. I did not know he was as good as he is, or he's also having this like out-of-body ex- experience like Victor is. I'm not sure which. Um he drives to the basket better than I ever, ever imagined that he could. Um, but, I mean, the good thing is it's, it is really by committee, and the team, you know, like harps on the fact that any person can pick them up any given time. A lot of times it is Thad Young, everyone's, you know, favorite. He's our favorite, too. Um, you know, it could be anybody. I'm that It, like, makes me a little nervous that it could go wrong so quickly when it's you're just kind of relying on the whole package to make it move. Um, but it does now seem like, Vic can take over a game when necessary. So, you know, that's not something the Pacers have had, but it's definitely been by committee nearly every game of the season, which um, has been pretty crazy. Hmm. There's something to the value of a pecking order. Yeah. Yeah. That I think the India Pacers are showing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, It's pecking order, but it's also to that. But they all have little specific skills that right. you want. I mean, it's right? a nice, tight eight-man yeah. rotation of guys who each have their little lane in the rotation. Right. Um, each have their little thing that they do, and they have the one star in Oladipo. And it's <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, like Caitlin, do you think that's something that Nate Millen fostered? Do you think it's going to happen by accident? Is that a Pritchard thing with the way they've made the signings that they've made? I mean, what? How have they been able to build that sort of uh, pecking order? Really. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to give Nate McMillan credit for getting everybody to buy in, definitely. And I mean, they play for each other. And part of it with Oladipo and the rest of them is they've been talking about wanting to play faster and smaller for like what seems like infinity now, and they're Mm -hmm. finally doing it. (laughs) They play faster within possessions. They play faster in terms of the number of possessions. And probably most importantly is they share the ball. I mean, they're up over 300 passes per game. And they have the second best assist to turnover ratio in the NBA. That that definitely matters that they get the ball moving a lot more than they did last season when the ghost of Monte Ellis and Rodney Stuckey were haunting the Pacers <laughs> and Lavoy Allen and Kevin Serafin were clogging the paint. Like the roster's just different in that regard. And then, you know, Nate McMillan's just made adjustments too. I mean, I give him tons of credit for deciding to play Sabonis at five because last year he was so he just was always playing Al Jefferson with Kevin Serafin or Al Jefferson with Lavoy Allen. And going based on what he did last year, I fully expected that he would play Sabonis with Al Jefferson. And, and you know, st- just little things like that have made mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah, he's tried, he's tried Bogdanovich at four, which I know he did some with the Wizards last year, but I wouldn't have expected Nate McMillan to even do that. Mm-hmm. And Bogdanovich he uses defensively so that Oladipo doesn't have to guard the other team's best player. 
so he can devote more of his energy to pace. And, you know, that's been pretty big, too. Yeah. So B- Bogdanovich is like the defensive stopper has been the weirdest thing about watching the Pacers this year. Uh, it's it's, oh, it's bizarre. Really bizarre. It kind of works. <laughs> yeah, he said that he didn't know where he got his reputation as a bad defender. I'm like, well, probably because when you played with the starters with the Wizards last year, they gave up like 120. I don't know. Points. Maybe maybe because the people who do that watch basketball. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, now, now they're slightly better with him on, and they use him and put him on DeRozan or Paul George just for his length, so that Oladipo doesn't have to do that. He was guarding somebody the other night. He was yeah. literally guarding yeah. LeBron, and I was having like heart palpitations but it's, <laughs> it's weird didn't like end that poorly <laughs> what's what's odd is that this small ball push has happened after larry bird has departed yeah so the grand vision that larry bird <laughs> wanted has finally been achieved without him and it is like the same coach and a lot of the same personnel you, you wonder like why the light bulb flipped here i wonder if maybe the players felt more coachable maybe nate felt like he couldn't do anything last year because of the george situation it's a little bit odd. Um, I do want to shift our attention a little bit to George before we talk about uh, Wednesday. I know you guys are probably tired of talking about him, but <laughs> ha- having observed what's going on in Oklahoma City from afar, does this surprise you, uh, knowing what you know about George, that the situation has developed as it has there? Do you Should we have seen more of this coming? I'm just kind of curious now that he's somewhere else and y- what you guys think as, has kind of happened there. Uh, I have an interesting thought that's like I've started to think of lately is that I thought when Paul, Paul's a pretty like smooth, calm, laid back player. Um, I thought that when he got with Russ, he was just going to feed off Russ and Russ was still going to be as crazy as he ever was. And that Paul was just going to get to sort of like reap the benefits of that. It almost seems like it's gone the other way. Like, where did Russ go? And it's almost like. Like, they've gone to, like, the mellow Paul George style, which is very different than Russ. And so it's just – I mean, I watched them last night, and they <sighs> – Yeah. Russ had, like, that, you know, a couple moments where he was himself, but it's like you don't see it anymore. Yeah, last, it's, it's not at all what I thought that team was going to look like. Last night's game, I was also – I was flipping back and forth between Pelicans, Rockets, and um, and uh, Hornets and, and OKC, and – I had this moment in the fourth quarter. Uh, Oklahoma City made a 10 0 run, then Kemba made a three, and then he took a charge, and yep. then he made a nice and that pass. Was game. That was game. That was it. Um, but it's this moment where you realize that Russ does not stop any other point guards defensively. In fact, they have great games against Oklahoma City, and then the rest of their team is not there to support that. But is that Russ probably has these moments within games where he looks around and he's like, wow, it's Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. And I used to have that was Kevin Durant. And that was James Harden, and I think that I honestly why didn't he have those moments last year? uh, Because last year was the Durant's finally gone. It's time for me to get a triple double. Like last year, he knew he didn't have to care about that. He just knew he got to just be wild out the whole year. Exactly. I don't know. I think wins and losses did not matter last year, Mike. It was about Russ's personal stats. I mean, I agree with that. I think with Russ, it's more like he he had knee surgery, and I don't think he's the same athlete. I think that's simple. What's yeah? He doesn't have the sustained explosion. All game long, usually, yeah. What's yeah. been a little odd to me watching them and um, is that I don't think George has really changed his game very much. I think that's sort of what you're speaking to, Whitney. Mm. You know, yeah. he kind of is it, playing it the same like way. To him more, which is which I thought I thought he would adapt to to Russ, and it doesn't appear that way. Well, so what would what would a team or what would Paul George adapting 
to Russ look like, I guess is my question. Not not in like a what a hypothetical way. I thought that Paul was best off the ball and mm-hmm. like coming off screens, like whether he's rolling off the screen or where they can get him. I mean, catch and shoot Paul George rarely misses. Like once he broke his leg, he did nothing but shoot for an yeah. entire year. So now when he's catch and shoot, he doesn't miss. And I still see him taking like his Paul George contested mid range jumper for no reason. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's Paul's fault. I don't know if that's like Billy Donovan's fault. Like I don't understand what's going on, but it's really obvious what Paul is, what Paul can handle, and what Paul can't handle. And I thought as a number two there or three, whatever you want to say, he wasn't going to have to handle those things he's not as good at. So the thing about Paul in Indiana, I mean, there's so much about uh, personality-wise, uh, the disposition he had. But I think ultimately, what it it felt like from the outside is that this was a struggle he had of like, is he the guy or is he a guy and he had a lot of trouble i think figuring out when to be one and when to be the other i think we talked about this a lot where he kind of came up as like the little the a guy and the little brother but then he had to transition to being the guy and that was difficult and Mm -hmm. watching oklahoma city it kind of feels like he's struggling with that same thing knowing what we know about paul's personality uh based on his time in indiana like should we have seen more of this struggle coming, Caitlin? I mean, the other question I'm curious about is like, is Indiana like, is there a little bit of uh, what's how do you pronounce that word? Schadenfreude. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yep. You know what word? From the way he's playing in Oklahoma City in Indiana right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's about every night there's some running tally of how many points Oladipo has versus <laughs> how many points Paul George has and how many game winners Victor Oladipo's hit versus the zero that Paul George made. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you can definitely see signs of him being frustrated. When I, I watched that game that OKC played against Utah when they were in a massive hole, it was not a very fun game to watch. But... He Paul George was literally on almost three or four straight possessions bent over in the corner, like taking a breather while the play was running. Like, so part of what I think, like what Whitney said is true. He's best when he's coming off screens and they would the Pacers would run a lot of double stagger sets for him, elevator sets for him. And in OKC, I'm not sure if he knows just intuitively how to play off of Russ and Mello without those actions being called for him so some of it i think he's just frustrated with how the team's underperforming and some of it is i'm not sure that he is intuitively good at that yeah and then, and then look the other part of that is look we're a quarter of the season or a quarter of the way through the season he might have what three quarters of a season left in oklahoma city maybe less maybe less <laughs> well i mean that's, that's what i wonder about i mean <laughs> he didn't want to be in indiana after a while obviously mm-hmm. you know that was much was clear he didn't go to like it's not like he went to the he didn't go to whatever team he wanted like he got traded there it was not his choice necessarily to go to Oklahoma City um so I wonder if like his focus is just not there uh and if that whole team's focus is a little all over the place because they have so many different competing sort of there's nothing that Whereas with like Harden and Paul, as I think I've said before, there is like a much more much more of a permanence, and like they chose to play together, mm-hmm. and these guys didn't quite choose to play together. Um, so I wonder what is going on there. I mean, the other, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Do you think he's going to get booed? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yes. If you two were there, would you boo? 
No. no. <laughs> but that's because he wouldn't boo anybody, right? I mean, that's not right. Like, is there anyone that you would boo? No, I don't. I'm not. But yeah, no. I'm not really a booer. I got really mad at LeBron a couple times, but I'm not really. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Do you? I hate. I don't want to ask. Give you guys a sense of like how fans should react to him because like this is such a thorny subject. I yep. don't want to do that. I wonder if, um, you know, will time be kinder to Paul George's legacy in Indiana or will it be less kind? I'm pretty sure when you asked Caitlin and I this before Victor even played a minute, yeah. we said that history would not be kind to Paul George and it is only getting worse by the minute. <laughs> Even if Oladipo starts to tail off a little bit and this team doesn't play quite as well, you think it's still going to be, you know, time will be yeah. worse to him? Hmm. I think so. Especially, I mean, just the situation is, like, not good for him. Like, he left, OKC isn't good, and you can, and the Pacers are good, and you can make excuses for why either of those things, like, aren't reality, and maybe they won't always be that way. But, like, I mean, it just it hasn't been in Paul George's favor in terms of winning the fans back over. He literally, while we were on this, just came out and said that he expects to be booed and that he knows that there are more Pacers fans than Paul George fans. Hmm. Well, well I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope that there are more Pacers fans than Paul George fans. Otherwise, you know, they, they wouldn't put a team in Paul George City. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going for that. Uh, do you, Good Caitlin, point, do, you, do you think that um, there will reach a point where, like, Paul George will be less there will be less strong feelings one way or the other about Paul George is like the city will start to just be like you know we got our guy we don't really like basically what Oladipo was saying like I don't want to be compared to him the city will just stop comparing Oladipo to him and it'll just be like that dude on another team and there's there's it just it doesn't engender any sort of feeling at all I mean is that are we going to reach that point at any point I mean, there was a column published this morning referring to him as a coward. So I don't think it's going to be in the immediate future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) But I mean, the funny thing is, is there's an alternative reality where Paul George doesn't or Paul George's agent doesn't inform Kevin Pritchard that he wants out. They keep Paul George to play out one year of his contract. And then the rumors were that Kevin Pritchard was interested in Drew Holiday and Danilo Gallinari. So, you know, there's a reality where you have you pay money and take up cap space with one or the other of them. And Paul George leaves anyways. So if he hadn't informed them that he didn't want to play there anymore, you wouldn't have Victor Oladipo and Sabonis now. So some of the, you know, constant calling of Paul George a snake and whatever else coward whatever else they're calling him i, I it's a little lost on me that's why i'm thinking better than most written letters so yeah and what's happened now is that it's gone from like the snake thing that, that caitlin's referring to as the other column that was this morning was that um thank you for the favor that you did for leaving us <laughs> right um, yeah so now it's turned into now it's turned to like thank god you left us right <laughs> at a certain point those two viewpoints are incongruent Right. Yes. I mean, I'm not suggesting that like there is there is going to be rationality to this uh, process, but like at a certain point, you would think that one wins out of the other. And look, they did have a great run, and he did. I mean, it is true he did at tell them, "I don't want to be here anymore. You should get something for me while you can." So in that sense, he didn't do anything wrong. I think what it, what it does sound like is that there is a lack of genuineness on his part compared to Oladipo who for at this point seems more 
for lack of a better word, more Indiana. <laughs> Nobody likes to be broken up with. That's, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. The last thing I'm curious about with the Pacers uh, is like, so we published a piece maybe a week ago from Tom Ziller who was suggesting that, you know, the Pacers being good is like fun now, but it's probably not the best thing mm. for a long-term future, yep. citing a number of surprise teams in the past that have fallen on hard times like the 2014 Suns and the Blazers, although they're still about the same level. Um, are you guys even thinking about that now? Should you be even thinking about that now? Is there like I a... I started thinking about it after I read that from Ziller. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It made me wonder, because it all was, like, pretty reasonable. It made me wonder if there are teams that have done this and it worked. Yeah. Because, I mean, for for what it's worth, like, Ziller's article was pretty much like, you know, this could end poorly really quickly. And it was was well done and it was right. And it did cause a lot of concern. So I I also wondered, well, has has it ever worked for anybody? Well, let me think about this. Um, I mean, I'm sure it has. Uh, I guess, I mean, you could argue that, like, the way Detroit was formed and built up in the uh, oh, oh, early 2000s, 2000s yeah. like, kind of worked out that way. Um, but, you know, on the surface, it definitely tends to, because of the incentive system now, maybe that is starting to change, right? So it's not quite so easy to, you don't, tanking is less. Uh, a path to success now is it in the new rules the pacers have also i mean you could argue that the pacers are an example the previous pacers are an example of a team that um you know didn't start from this level but got good without getting bad right i mean that is the analog you would say uh and that team drafted really well and could have built slowly i mean that that i guess would be the best example of a team that did it differently um i guess I mean, like, should we even be talking about this? Like, it does feel a little bit like a killjoy. Not that it's, like, entirely valid, but also um, I might be getting too existential about this. But, like, at this point, if you're a, if I'm a Pacers fan, like, I just don't care about the future. Is that, like, a, a fair point? Like, do you think that most Pacers fans are thinking that? Like, we just want to enjoy this while it happens now? I mean, I, I, I read that article when it came out, and I – I thought it was interesting because there is some validity to it because right now the Pacers are like 29th and points allowed in the paint. They they are so porous on the perimeter and they're still, even though they're shooting the three really well, they're only attempting them at like 22nd or 23rd rate in the NBA. So sometimes I wonder how long is the offense really going to keep outpacing what they're doing defensively that like there's something there that you wonder like how long until the bubble bursts but I mean you're right they've been a hard team to write about in that regard because every time like Sabonis will have three perfect games and I'll think well that's not sustainable and Oladipo shooting x off the dribble and you think that isn't sustainable but yet somehow they're still doing it because they they play so much for each other I mean the one thing to look at is they still are going to have they could have almost 58 million dollars in cap space this summer depending upon what Thaddeus Young and Corey Joseph do Hmm. so it's not like they're really going to go all in on what they have because I think the only free agents like Glenn Robinson the third and what then they that, can sign young, right? Perhaps. Right. If he doesn't take his player option. Right. And, and miles Turner's eligible for an extension, but I mean, there's, there's really no veterans for them to commit to. And at the same time, they have Darren Collison and Al Jefferson and Boyan Bogdanovich all have 
team options. So they could still be really aggressive with those contracts at the draft if they wanted to. So Kevin Pritchard's kind of put them in the position where they can let the good times roll right now and still have options this summer. So, I mean, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> it's early December. Thoroughly enjoy this season. Regardless I, no, of the I, outcome. I totally like, that's, agree. That's the way to look at this. Like, if Say you've captured lightning in a bottle getting a second-year player whose father was one of the greatest European players of all time. His pedigree is great. His athleticism seems to be much more than his dad ever had. Although we never got to see, uh, you know. Yeah. We never I think, got to see I think, I think yeah. the uh, dad well, had plenty of athleticism at a young age. We never got to see it because it was being played uh, on, on RT um, in, uh, in Russia there. Whoever it was. Where, 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 was, where were they from? Le- Lithuania, Lithuania, right? The same place that the Ball family has. Yeah, God, camp too. Well, we don't talk about that. But um, (laughs) so, so just being able to thoroughly appreciate winning a trade that you didn't think you won at the time is an incredible thing as a fan. I I totally agree. It's just anyhow. I just like you would if you told a Suns fan in like January two thousand and fourteen, like they would be saying a lot of the same things, and then a month, two, a month, and a year and a half later, it's like, wow, this organization is a mess. Like sometimes. From an organizational standpoint, it can be difficult yes. to manage expectations, but yeah. that's why they get paid, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right? right? Like that's the whole. And and I imagine that, like, if they get the seventh seed or if they're the ninth best team, like, it doesn't really matter, right? To you, as long as they, <laughs> you've the already place. you've all you've already had this period. The the Thunder have had this struggling time. Like, is there any world where like this year will be considered a disappointment at this point? I mean, I would say no. The only di- real difference would be that something that's kind of gone under the radar is how much they're using Miles Turner. Like, if they were bad right now, I think they would be feeding him the ball and trying to maybe show a few more signs of growth with some of the other, you know, stuff yeah, that he does true. on offense. But he has actually 10 plus games right now where he's attempted two or fewer shots in the fourth quarter. He becomes somewhat of an afterthought. He even has two DNPs in the fourth quarter just because of some of the differences there between Sabonis and himself. So, I mean, that will be one drawback just because Sabonis can make an impact when his shot isn't falling in a way that Miles Turner hasn't really shown yet. Um, Last question here before our time's a little tight, unfortunately. Um, What's been your favorite game of the year so far? Um, Whitney, you can go first, and then Caitlin, take us home. Because there's been a lot of magical moments so far, but what's been uh, your game so far this year that stood out the most? My favorite was the the Pistons game okay. uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think I think if I'm not – if I, I could be incorrect. I feel like that was the first time we saw them do a, uh, a comeback as they're accustomed to. I wish they'd stop getting down so big and we wouldn't have to have all <laughs> glorious comeback game but i feel like that was the first time we saw um kind of who the pacers this team might really be Hmm. had a huge comeback um vic was huge like the timeline after the game was filled with like the pacers like couldn't stop hugging each other they were like like kids in a candy store um it was sort of like a as as early as a defining moment can be this early in the season, sure. that game for me was really fun in terms of like, okay, this team might actually be something to be excited about. Yeah. Caitlin? Yeah, they definitely thrived on the improbable. And that, I mean, that's kind of what they've done all season. They just thrive on the improbable. I'd probably say, I mean, one of the last two, probably Cleveland, just that last, that three he made at the end of that game. Yeah. yeah. Before he made, before he even made that three, what I appreciated about it is he noticed that LeBron was guarding Miles Turner 
motioned for Miles Turner not to set the screen and called for Thad to come set it so he could get that switch with Kevin Love. And I think that was just kind of epitomizing some of the growth and development he's shown this season, even beyond just hitting the clutch shot. So Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you guys both nailed it, though. Those are two great answers because they speak to the larger picture here. Yeah, I'm trying um, to think of the game I like the most. <laughs> I was going to say the Cavs one the other night because I watched that one. Uh, yeah, Cavs one was pretty good. Uh, top to bottom. I actually thought, I mean, it, look, this was a loss for you guys, and I'm only saying because I'm a Sixers fan, but the Sixers-Pacers game earlier in the year was a lot of fun, too. Oh, I was at that game. That was a terrific yeah, game. Yeah, you were at that, that game. That's right, Mike. Person. You were texting me. You were like, this, these are two young teams that are definitely actually here potentially to stay. Yeah, that was a terrific um, game. That was a great game, yes. And, and that was a game where the Pacers got down and then clawed back with superior work ethic and uh, and hustle on the court, which is it's something the Sixers struggle with sometimes. But um, yeah, I feel anyhow. like reducing it to that is sort of not that you intended to, but yeah. like they're doing, they're succeeding in ways that I think we just don't have a good way of measuring. Yeah. Like like they move without the ball really well. Like it's like one of those things that we don't really talk enough chemistry, about. chemistry. Yeah. Those, yeah. those things you Bog, Bogdanovich and Thad definitely move without the ball really yes. well. Thad hangs out along that baseline and he pops in. I mean, he said after the one game that they only call two set actions for him. Yep. Everything else that he gets and does is just because he knows where to be and he's in the right spot at the right time. So yeah, he's incredible, right? I, I his entire career, Thad has has made his paycheck on on basically just movement at all times, and yeah. then and then being a. <laughs> left-handed and using his left hand tremendously. Mike hates when I point this out, but no, I mean, he always gets his left. He, he's always been one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Last year, he looked a little like kind of lost. Yeah, and he's sort of. I think uh, some of these, sometimes these players are products of the stars situation sure. that they're in, and they all look better when they have someone who's a little bit easier to. There's not a cloud around the star. Yeah. I yeah. think that's sort of what happened to him and uh, Bogdanovich. I don't yeah. know where he was last year. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. It's okay, man. He was supposed to be the guy who took the Wizards to the, the next. Well, Thad's wrist is healthy, too. I mean, he only took nine threes over the final three months of the season yeah, last year. And now he's shooting back over 35% from three, so that matters. It's uh, shooting. I'm going to say he's shooting from three only a little bit west of 35%, and Paul George is shooting about 40% from the field this year. Um, to just put some context on what numbers look like, but um, which is yeah. crazy. I think Paul George is actually shooting the same from two as he is from three. I could be, I could be wrong on that. Sounds like, about right. Fact check that. But um, anyhow, we look forward to the game tomorrow night, the reunion game, the much anticipated Paul George versus what would you uh, call it? Pacers. Does it have a name? Um, like you know, like. Uh, I don't know exactly what like like I feel like I feel like it's a forced like neither party really wants to see each other right yeah, now. I don't think right. it's how they have to. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's, like the Pacers are fine without him and he's fine without the Pacers. Yeah, this such is the problem with staying in the NBA is eventually you have to face the team you broke yeah. up with. Yeah. No, it's true. Especially when they do, you know. Uh, publicly, and you, you ask to be the one to get out of there. But anyhow. well, the Pacers are great at giving up, are coming back from deficits, and the Thunder are great at giving up leads. So, so the the <laughs> ideal outcome will be that the Thunder get a, t- a period of the game where they dominate, and then the Pacers come back and win. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. the perfect flow. Yeah, yeah, ideally, like Vic hits like a, another three, place burns down because it can't handle it. Yeah. Paul George <laughs> is gonna guard him, right? Uh, probably. I mean, um, Robertson was they injured. Used, they last used time. Robertson. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they used Robertson in the first meeting, and like Wasn't I said, that, that was didn't. Uh, yeah, didn't I think he has an ankle. Hmm. Yeah, so they are going to guard each other, I think, unless Robertson nice. plays. Bogdanovich nice. will guard Paul George. I can about guarantee that. Yeah, fat on mellow. So there yeah. is a chance that Victor will hit a shot in Paul George's face, a big shot. Yeah. 
Yeah. What would what odds would you give me on that happening in the final two Ooh. minutes of the game? Victor won't be scared to shoot it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, if the Thunder play defense like they did against the Hornets, it might not get to that point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Just another blowout. <laughs> I think I'm taking that prop bet. Whatever it is, like if that was a prop bet, I, I think I would take that. Get you, get you on the Oladipo bookie. will then do his go. celebration cool. and say that this is his city again. So, yeah. Um, all right, that's all the time we got, unfortunately. But hey, Caitlin Cooper, Whitney Neverworth, we always appreciate you guys coming on here, uh, chatting Pacers with us, going from all the spectrums of emotions that fans go through, and and uh, and on the record vocally with Mike and I because we need this. We need to get the input uh, that we don't get to have our, our feet in the ground or, or be able to watch every Pacers game. So checking in with you the last time it was sad. Now it couldn't be happier, and we are very excited to watch the Pacers uh, and Thunder tomorrow night and, and kind of see how this um, the season continues to uh, progress. So again, thank you so much for coming on, ladies. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Yep. And, Mike, uh, till next time, bud, this is Limited Upside Podcast. 